Quantum Kickflip is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Previously on Quantum Kickflip. Whatever's going on between all of us, we need to set it aside until we figured out what this is all about. My name is Gigi. I am the director of the Kindred Ezria Rehabilitation Efforts. We did have to put a little tiny flag on the account just because we noticed that there was some uh, debt uh, incurring from your last lease of Trev 4. Trev did rack up quite a tab buying us all those outfits. We were paying for those? We wanted to get your help to basically go on an exploration mission for us. And I I suppose we have no choice. The way I see it, you either become a kindred crew, die in the wool, or you side with no one, or you side with everyone. You absolutely uh, catch this updraft, and it carries you away. Yep. <laughs> Something in the quicksand changes, and both of you just get instantly zooped and sucked underneath. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> As you sort of get more natural light, you see what looks like little succulent plants, and what looks to Bryn and Helix to be spiky red rocks, you register as some kind of perfectly camouflaged arthropod. Some of these lots, it doesn't look like anything's been demolished or knocked over. It's just like someone forgot to put something there. Maeve, Walt. Helix, Helix, is that you? Dig, dig quick, there's there's something coming. There's something coming behind us. Bursting out of this hole directly behind Walton and Maeveline is a giant cerulean worm. Welcome back to Quantum Kickflip, a Slug Blaster actual play podcast. My name is Lena. I am your host and your slug master. And with me are five of my best and funniest friends in the whole world. And they're going to introduce themselves to you now. Uh, your characters are currently discovering interesting things in a place they haven't been before. So I want to know what's an interesting thing that you've discovered in a new place. Tell me about your cool discoveries, friends. Hi, my name is Robin. I play Maybelline Zandros, the Grit playbook uh, with the photonic jacket. Uh, and a few years back, uh, my lovely wife and I, uh, Lena, uh, went to Italy for our honeymoon. And we discovered lots of cool stuff while we were there. Uh, we discovered a cat who uh, led tourists to a specific bench and then <laughs> hopped on your lap to get pets from you. Uh, like he was running some kind of elaborate con. Um, and we also discovered, uh, ice cream gelato that had basil in it. It was like basil flavored ice cream, uh, which I think maybe was the basis for olive oil popsicles being a staple of Thanos Spar in the QK canon. I, I think that got like, uh, telephoned into that because uh, uh, my my take on Thanos Bar was heavily based on Italy because I don't go to a lot of places. <laughs> Hi, I'm Glenna. I play Brinley Zerk. She is the Guts playbook, and she has the Gravity Blaster as a form uh, in the form of a gauntlet that she wears. Um, and I don't know if this counts as a discovery, but it was a new place. I was in Germany in junior high for an exchange trip, and it was the same year that my sister went on a backpacking trip a few months before me, and we were in this church in Dresden, and she sent me a picture of, like, this bulletin board, 
And she was like, reach behind it. And I reached behind it and I found a note that she had left me a few months earlier. Aww. Yeah. Love that. Hi, I'm Liam. Uh, I play Helix Pinnacle. Uh, he's got the hard light board. He's the smarts playbook. Uh, and a number of the people uh, on this podcast and I often rent cabins on the Halloween weekend and have a party in a cabin in the woods on Halloween weekend. And one of the first years we did it, I went and looked in like one of the other random cabins that were out in the dark that weren't being used for like when camps and schools and stuff come. And we cracked one open and all the beds had been like collapsed and knocked over and it was like clearly disused. And as we shone our flashlight in the back of the wall, uh, someone had written God is an all consuming fire in red on the far back wall. And we're like, yep, nope, we're done. We're gonna let's go back to the cabin. That's Fun Halloween times are over. <laughs> you noped out of that horror movie. <laughs> Hi, my, my name is David Ray, and I play Trev Four, the heart playbook, and he has a hyper-optic visor. Uh, I, I think for me, there was one time I left uh, my country, the one time, uh, and I went down to uh, a place just outside of uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and uh, – as a part of this like week that I was there, I went to like a, a like a market, and I tried to barter for the first time in my life, and uh, <laughs> I wound up paying for just the worst pair of aviator sunglasses for like twenty five dollars. When I figured it <laughs> out, when I translated like oh. Uh, pesos to Canadian dollars. I paid way more than I should have for these awful, awful glasses. And uh, <laughs> that's why I refuse to travel. <laughs> Sour, do you want it forever? Yeah, forever. <laughs> well, if uh -huh. this is what the world is like, then no thank no, you. <laughs> no more. Uh, hi, my name is Michael Batch, and I've been drawing a blank for this whole intro. Oh god, me too, Michael. I'm here playing Walton Wick the Chill Playbook with the Robot Companion, and um, one time I was on a school trip to Scotland, uh, and I ordered a cheeseburger, and uh, instead of it just being cheese on top of a burger... They had put it inside the patty of the burger and deep fried it. That's something I learned one time, is that a cheeseburger is not always what you expect it to be. <laughs> <laughs> and as I mentioned, uh, my name is Lena. I am your host. And a place I've never been before a couple years ago was Podcast Space. This space <laughs> within the audio medium. And the thing that I discovered is I love my friends. <laughs> Speaking of exploring new places and discovering new things, uh, y'all are in Vestige at the behest of Kindred Multiversal Mega Tower. Uh, they have simply asked you to explore. And I think that you have done uh, a fair bit of that and have landed yourselves in a bit of hot water, as is the way with Gold Star Disaster. So let's see how much of a disaster this is really going to be. Let's play some Slug Blaster. In the dimension of Vestige, Sand and smog stretch out as far as the eye can see, marring the horizon with deep pink dunes and murky green clouds. The sunlight is hazy, deep orange, and without warmth, and the air is dry and smells like gasoline. 
There's no sound other than the constant wind creating an all-encompassing silence that is not expecting to be broken. Expectations are dangerous and can be shattered on a dime, much like the so-called all-encompassing silence. Tucked between the rolling dunes is a massive pit, a deep quarry full of wreckage, dust, and at this precise moment, inconsiderately noisy mayhem as Gold Star Disaster faces off against a giant cerulean worm. To call it a worm is somewhat inaccurate, as worm implies featurelessness. It does have a long blue-black body that is covered by a thick layer of electric blue slime. As it bursts out of the hole in the side of the dune, however, its entire body bristles out, revealing hundreds of wriggling tendrils that run along its entire length. A circular mouth opens at one end, revealing a proboscis that darts out towards the crew as it draws ever closer. Gold Star Disaster. What do you do? Ah, uh, gang, this is like somebody took all the worst parts of all the bugs and put them together. We need to get out of here. Yes, I think uh, evacuating this space might behoove us more than trying to fight this thing head on. Though, ooh, I do want to fight this thing head on, but no, no. Do do we have eyes on a thin zone in any way? Have we got what we came for? I mean, there was some sort of vegetation down in the tunnel. It looked like maybe the, the kind of thing that Kindred would be interested in, but... If, if we're going to investigate that any further, we may have to face this thing head on after all. Uh, I think I need to implement a think fast policy. Y'all have had some chance to talk it out, which is great. But also, um, I feel like the next thing that needs to happen is not talking. Otherwise, you're going to get uh, bludgeoned, prodded, chewed by this worm. <laughs> so Trev4 uh, goes into action and tries to like analyze where the uh, the worm is going to attack next and uh, tries to shout out like, oh, go this way, that way, and tries to get an analysis of what's going on. You're, you're sort of like analyzing and trying to set something up for your team? I'm just trying to uh, uh, analyze of like where to go and just set them up to avoid attacks and to, I don't know, uh, maybe with the kick uh, to try to analyze where a weak spot might be. Yeah, with, with with just like trying to set up your team, that that felt like it uh, lent itself more to like helping and lending resources. But I think if you're looking for a weak spot, or maybe looking to distract the thing or get it in a specific position, then uh, I think that makes sense for a roll. Uh, okay, uh, I rolled uh, a five on that. Uh, so I do think with that you can detect a weak spot on this worm. Uh, and maybe maneuver it into a position, because you added like a kick to that, right? That's correct, yes. Yeah, then I'll also say that you can maneuver it into a favorable position for your team's next action. I think what I will say, as far as uh, weak points go, you scan and analyze this thing as it bursts out, and... It's covered in slime. It's covered in thick wriggling tendrils. It seems difficult to determine if puncturing through the slime and trying to like break it that way would make sense. But as it opens up its mouth and sort of extends the proboscis, you see that that's like a pretty open space that is not covered in a thick layer of viscous blue slime. Uh, so you get the sense that that might be an ideal place to attack. 
Uh, how do you want to maneuver this thing? I think my uh, rocket knees and my repulsor lift uh, opens up on my chest, and I, I start trying to swing by it to try to get its attention and try to get its attention on me to like, you know, make it sort of expose that spot a little bit more. So I'm putting myself in a little bit of uh, a, uh, a risky place as it's probably trying to send its attacks at me maybe. Mm. And I highlight a, a, a spot hit right there, right there. And uh, try try to like highlight it with like a, a laser pointer essentially from my finger, just like right there. Nice. Um, so you're sort of flying uh, uh, erratically around this thing, and it does kind of like rise up and start like opening up to try and grab you. But I'm not going to give you a slam as your complication. This is what I'm going to give you. Your internal phone starts ringing. Hello, this is Trefor. As long as you are on this call, you are going to have the slam of distracted. <laughs> Hollywood over here taking phone calls mid-run. Yeah. Hi, Trev4. This is Gigi just checking in. And we'll see what Gigi is checking in about momentarily. But for now, it is someone else's turn to step up to the plate. I have a dumb idea. Yes. <laughs> Brinley is going to use her endurance engine in her gravity blaster uh, roll to coarsely lift, push, and pull things at a distance with the accuracy and power of a tractor. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I want to, with the accuracy and power of a tractor, latch onto the proboscis and make it go, make it go back in the mouth. (laughs) Okay. Gnarly. (laughs) And just see what happens. That's all. <laughs> Great. Uh, I think Trev4 has uh, uh, set you up in such a way that I will give you a free kick to this action. Ooh. And feel free to add any other resources that you like. Cool. Um, I'm going to take a d6 for my attitude, and I'm going to do a trick. I just have to figure out what kind of trick I'm doing. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> listen. <laughs> Yes. The outside is so tough to get in. We could destroy it from the inside. <laughs> and she's going to, with the accuracy and power of a tractor, mm-hmm. take a running jump and try to swing like George of the Jungle on a vine <laughs> on the proboscis into the mouth. Watch out for that worm. <laughs> 3d6 and a kick. That's a six. Yeah. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Mark a style and describe how you just wreck shop with this thing. Yeah, so she goes flying into the gaping maw of this worm uh, using the proboscis and her gravity blaster as a uh, as a pendulum. Or she herself is the <laughs> pendulum. And I think the kick is a literal kick. <laughs> her athletic sneaker is out in front of her and she just like rams this thing's, I don't know, does it have a uvula? Where a uvula might be. (laughs) (laughs) This is so good. You are also flying directly into this thing's mouth? Yes. So here's what's gonna happen. You you launch forward, extending your, your foot to kick where the back of the throat might be, but you unfortunately discover that the throat has no back. <laughs> uh, 
I am going to spend one bite as uh, this thing closes its mouth around you and starts retreating back into the hole. No. It is disappearing with Brinley. Gold Star Disaster, what do you do? Uh, Walt turns to Scampykin, who he's had some beside him through all that uh, spelunking they were doing previously, and goes, quick, we got to keep it from backing into the tunnel. Uh, And with this, Walt is actually going to pull out his Daibo vice. And I think narratively, uh, in the time since DaiboCon, Walt has been spending more time focusing on Scampykin and and training and trying to figure out how they can advance their uh, data surging capabilities. Mm -hmm. So even though they haven't uh, fully upgraded to be able to be in a a higher surge state at all times, Walt's going to help uh, data surge Scampykin up now and then make an attack on that worm, I think. Nice. So you're using Button Masher? Yes. I'm going to mark a turbo to use a locked mod for the length of an action. That mod will be Neural Network, which is the uh, thing that me- me- makes him be the higher level and smarter and stuff. Uh, so with that, uh, Walt pulls out the Daibo Vice, uh, engages a button, holds it out towards Scampykin, and Scampy is enveloped in a light. And we we go into that classic uh, TV segment where they're doing the the evolution state thing, and it's like <laughs> in a, in a weird three D generated spinning background, and uh, it goes Scampykin, Data Search Two, Carcinokin, and he becomes again Carcinokin, the next level up. He is a four legged crab like guy with eyes underneath, sort of a, a goggle type visor. Uh, with that, Walt is going to get uh, Carcinokin to try and stave off the worm by sort of blasting it at its side so it can't back into the tunnel. I think it's important to note as well that for the rest of the crew, this is their first time seeing Carcinokin. Uh, mm-hmm. Scampykin yeah. did data surge once in Empyrean to save you, Walt, from drowning in a creek, <laughs> falling off the edge of the ribbon. <laughs> um, but he only did that briefly and only did that around you. So Gold Star Disaster... Uh, meet Carcinokin. <laughs> All right, Scamp. I mean, Carcinokin, hit that thing on the side. We have to stop it from retracting. You've got it, Walton. Here we go. <laughs> Carcinokin, exo hammer. <laughs> Maeve leans over to Helix and is like, "Could could the shrimp guy always talk?" I I don't I don't know. The ooze never talked to me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so for this, uh, it's um, essentially just going to roll an attack here, and I think instead I, uh, of it being a distance attack, it's actually going to end up being more of a melee hit, uh, and, and he's going to try and sort of bash it to the side here. I'm uh, starting with just the 2d6 that I get from the chill attitude, uh, and I will throw one more d6 on from Robot Companion, so I'll be rolling 3d6. And there's, uh, there's two ones and a six. <laughs> All right. Uh, mark a style for Steezy. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, describe this hit. Yeah. Uh, Carcinokin uh, calls out, Exo Hammer! And with its uh, larger right claw, begins to glow uh, aquamarine blue and just launches forward into almost like a, a big superhero punch forward. And that glowing hammer of a claw just smashes into the side of this cerulean worm, and it slams against the side of the tunnel, stopping its motion backward. This thing is thrashing. Uh, the the tendrils had sort of like flattened out as it was starting to retreat backwards into the dune, um, but now that it's experiencing this pain in its side, the tendrils are starting to flare out again. 
uh, as it's like writhing and thrashing. Uh, it is held in place. Brinley has not yet been released. Helix or Maeve, you're up. Goldstar disaster, hasten to your companion. Maeve sees all of the the elements of her team kind of snapping into action here, and and we're all we're all working as a unit again. This is this is what she wanted. We're 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 finding ourselves. We're finding our, our cohesion. Um, and she she realizes that this is her time to step in. I want to use my hard light upscaling roll to temporarily augment your jacket with useful hard light ornaments such as glowing tentacles, polygonal fists, or briefly serviceable wings. How's a how's a big buzzsaw blade strike you as uh, useful hard light ornaments? Ooh! <laughs> Can I? I realize that's like um, a, a pretty big ask. A, a kick to get a to get a big buzzsaw blade. A kick. It's it's the ornament that's the sticking point for me personally. So I will allow it with a kick. <laughs> it does say useful ornaments, and a buzzsaw is is very useful in this particular situation. <laughs> Yeah, you get it with a kick. <laughs> I will mark that kick. Um, and yeah, I think Maeve realizes that like, oh, the whole Brindley went into may not be a viable way to get Brindley back out. We we might need to make a new hole here. Um, and she's hoping that that urban legend about like, if you cut a worm in half, it becomes two worms. Uh, whether that's like, she's hoping that's either not true or at least not true of Cerulean worms in Vestige um, <laughs> as she prepares to... Uh, to buzzsaw down into this thing and, and rescue her friend. I have marked a kick. I'm going to add a D6 from my jacket as well, which is the last of my jacket resources. And I really, really want this to work. So I'm going to mark a D6 for my attitude as well. Um, Maeve's focus this run has been trying to get the team all on the same page and, and working through our differences. And, and this feels like the moment that we can finally do it. But not if our friend dies. So <laughs> this is important to her uh, and in her role as the Grit. Uh, rolling 3d6 about it. We got a six. Oh my god, Ooh. the six is in this. A three, a three, and a six. <laughs> no steez for you, but a complete success. Yeah. Uh, describe exactly what you want to do and how you want to see it pay off. I think the big thing is she's she's trying to do the mental math to figure out how far down the worm Brinley might be so she doesn't saw Brinley in half. <laughs> and that's that's the the six pays that off of like Mave is not the smarts. Mave does not necessarily uh, have that understanding of of biology or physics or any of this. But uh, she she punches something into the sleeve of her jacket, uh, keys in a sequence, and this glowing golden hard light uh, extends out from the sleeve and forms itself into this giant rotating circular saw blade. Um, I think it's pretty crude. I don't think, you know, she's going for big and effective and that makes, you know, the, the sacrifice is finesse. So it's like, it's like if a kid drew a buzzsaw um, in crayon, <laughs> like it's, it's pretty just like, it's a circle with spikes on it. Um, but she gets it spinning fast enough and it does the trick. What does it do to the worm? I, I don't know if I want to speak to that. Lena, you can tell me <laughs> how, how, uh, how gnarly does this get? I'm going to say that slime uh, goes everywhere. Naturally. Uh, the, the electric blue slime just like fully covers you. There is a splash zone if anyone is near Maeve. Uh, congratulations, you now have uh, light blue dash to your outfit as you are uh, subsequently slimed. Um, <laughs> And I, I think you kind of just, like, cut a piece out of it, <laughs> opens mm -hmm. up like a gross, meaty door, uh, <laughs> and with your six, 
uh, you lined it up in such a way that Brinley can uh, escape. Does Brinley's hand shoot up through the the viscera like uh, Jason at the end of a Friday sir, the Thirteenth movie style, like or Shredder at the end of Ninja Turtles One, depending on on uh, yeah, if you're nasty, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? It's not a hand. It's a foot. Ah, very good. <laughs> she kicks her way out and like through the slime, just like ah. Oh, oh, oh. Scrod. You feel two uh, two hands on your shin as as Maeve uh, reaches out one arm and grabs you with both hands and helps pull you out. Thanks, Maeve. It was dark in there. <laughs> uh, Brinley, you are absolutely covered in goo and you smell pretty bad. <laughs> um, but this worm has uh, learned not to mess with y'all. Uh, and and very hastily retreats back into the dune and out of sight. We're going to take it back a little bit. While all of this action was happening, I want to jump back to the conversation that Trev4 and Gigi were having. <laughs> Quick reminder, uh, Trev, I'm thinking back to when you and Walt were in web and you were making phone calls to Walt. You had mentioned that, like, Everything is kind of like internally built into Trev, right? That's correct, yes. So you won't you won't hear Trev respond because it's like through the computer or whatever. So as far as anyone else knows, maybe your flight pattern is a little bit questionable, but also you're trying to fly in a way that's distracting to the worm, so maybe it works. It might, it, it might be a little bit of an autopilot situation, sure. Yeah, 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 but they are otherwise not privy to this conversation at all. Mm -hmm. Hi there, Trev4, this is Gigi, I was just calling to check in. Hello, I hope you've had a good day today. Thank you, Trev4, how has the exploration been going in Vestige? It has been Full of danger. <laughs> oh, danger, you say? That is correct. As I speak at this moment, I am trying to distract a giant worm <laughs> from uh, killing my associates. I see. Uh, so uh, would you say then that uh, the viability of Vestige as a settlement is maybe not very high at this moment? At this moment, it is not very hospitable to workers, unless they have heavy armor or perhaps large guns. Oh, well, that is a little bit disappointing, I have to say. Heavy armor and large guns. Well, uh, if that's the case, how are the five of you faring? Are the others safe under your care? Gold Star Disaster is a very capable group of individuals, <laughs> and they are handling themselves exceptionally well. Well, that at least is good to hear. Make sure you bring them back safe now. We wouldn't want our uh, employees to come across any undesirable circumstances. Of course. Trev4 is always there to make sure employees are taken care of. I so appreciate your dedication to Kindred Multiversal Megatower. Speaking of, they don't necessarily need to know about this call. It was just a friendly check-in. Indeed. It has been wiped from my memory records. Oh, that won't be necessary. You'll get your memory wipe at the end of the shift. Ah, yes, indeed. 
<laughs> well, I'll check in later. Bye now. Bye-bye. Uh, and as you hang up the call, this is about the time uh, you you uh, swerve to the side to avoid a splatter of blue slime that shoots straight up uh, as Maybelline saws into the worm to fish out your crewmate. Uh, you fully did not clock that Brinley got swallowed and pulled into the dune. <laughs> uh, then I start angling towards her and uh, I'm going to try to uh, get a sense of uh, if she's okay. Sure. So yeah, the five of you uh, reconvene. You you still haven't like had a chance to fully get a sense of the place that you're in. All you know is it's a big pit. There's definitely more wreckage here than there was in the dunes, though it doesn't seem as you know meticulously laid out as the town that you went through. Um, but that's about all you've gotten so far. And I'm just gonna give the five of you plus Carcinikin, however briefly he is around, a chance to reconvene and collect yourselves there was talk of there being flora samples down here mm-hmm. like weird flora uh, i think as this has all been going on seeing that it seems to be well in hand uh, helix has begun to collect samples of the slime and whatever these weird plants are that are growing okay absolutely he, he like looks up and sees like everyone else is dealing with it he's got his little jar they're all covered in slime he's just got a jar of slime <laughs> tell me more about this this uh flora specifically i'm gonna say any sort of properties associated with it you're not a hundred percent you you can't glean really in this moment but they are small they're sort of a similar blue color to the slime Mm-hmm. Kind of like more dull. They're not as like bright and vibrant as the slime is. And they're small. Helix, you know a little bit about like more biology, but you know, I think you can understand a little bit about plant life. So I think what you know is that these plants maybe haven't been around very long. Mm. They don't strike you as a vestige of what Vestige used to be, which was, you know, a verdant paradise. And, you know, Vestige hasn't been a wasteland all that long. So it's almost like this is the start of plant life potentially coming back to Vestige. Sorry, everyone, while you wipe yourselves off, I'm going to gather some more sample of these little blue flowers here. Hmm. And he just thinks interestingly uh, and tuck, tucks them away. I got a, I got a vial of slime and some of these uh, a soil sample as well, mm-hmm. uh, just to sort of check it against if this is, if I suspect this is new. I mean, we did we did come here to uh, explore and and help Kindred. I'm I, I, as as much as I'm reluctant to actually play along with the the ruse that or false pretenses they've got us here with. I I'm a sucker for biology and science. I'm I'm going to definitely take some of these samples. Excellent thinking, Helix. Walton, you should make notes about that on your tablet. <laughs> uh, Walton, we, we were discussing this earlier. When did the crab begin to talk? Because it's a crab, right? Yeah, uh, this is Carcinikin. Um, Scampy's uh, ne- next form up. He's, uh, well, we've, we've been trying to work harder on, on being a successful Dybekin partner trainer team. <laughs> and I think we are doing fantastically. Is that really a good idea? The, the last time I... Saw one of these things turn into a bigger one of these things that it nearly wrecked shop at Divocon, right? Like, is this Scampykin's Cobrakin? Is that how it works? Uh, she's she's uh, approaching this all like a boomer trying to describe something about the internet, you know? Like, she's like... <laughs> mm-hmm. As a protoform, I would be more equivalent to a Viperkin. But do not worry, Maeve. I have Gold Star Disaster's best interests at heart. 
<laughs> hey, little dude. I mean, uh, a crab has never lied to me before, so <laughs> I'm inclined <laughs> to trust it. Brindley, you're okay? Yeah, um, a little bit damper than before. Um, <laughs> uh, here, and Helix reforms his board into a, like a little fan comes out the tip of it, and so he ho- holds his board straight up and down like his body. And so I imagine like a sunflower stalk, there's like a little fan at the tip and he's trying to blow some like blow dry some of the slime off you (laughs) doesn't make eye contact though (laughs) dave did you say trev was coming in to like check on brinley's vitals kind of thing uh that's correct yes i think then i'll I'll offer this as as trev does uh maybe has been very like nicey nice this whole run and has been really trying to to encourage cohesion amongst the crew and like forgiveness and and trying to like put things first I think as you get close to Bryn, uh, Maeve, like, puts, you know, one arm, two hands out on on Trev's chest and, like, stops him from getting too close, uh, like, a little harder than is polite. And is like, she's fine. Oh, I, I was just uh, trying to uh, assess if there is any kind of triage that needs to be implemented. Yeah, well, we, we've uh, Bryn self-assessed and she says she's good. Right, Bryn? Uh, yeah, but thanks, Trev. I I appreciate your concern. You're very welcome. I suppose he is just looking out for the good of the team, like you were saying, Maeve, perhaps we should chill. (laughs) (laughs) And Maeve, like, is very tense, but, like, slowly draws her hands back and is like, right, right. Good of the team. Trev, I'll give you a quick uh, temperature as well, because I, I know that you have your intuition. And... It's kind of always going to a degree. It doesn't strike me as the kind of thing that you can turn off. So everyone in Gold Star Disaster, if you can just give me like one quick sentence for kind of your gut feeling in this moment, where you're at, and if you have any particular like or dislike towards anyone in this moment. I'll go first because Maeve's being the most obvious about it. I think uh, you get get a strong sense of distrust from Maeve. Um, like a, almost bordering on a little bit of fear, and uh, you get the sense that that this is not uh something that has has uh started in this moment, but something that has been present for a while, and she has just sort of let her guard down or let let the cracks begin to show. She has been actively trying not to reveal these feelings and and has let it out in this moment of panic. Brinley is feeling um, honestly pretty good. <laughs> she feels pretty like you get the sense that she's feeling she's feeling the rush after having been inside a worm uh, and that her feelings towards Helix have softened. Yeah, I think Helix has also had time to reflect on some of what uh, Brinley said. Also watching her go head first into the worm and that's usually his move was like, realizes there's enough worm diving to go around. Maybe he doesn't need to hog it all. Uh, he's maybe a little not going to say that quite as loud uh, as, as Brinley might. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't think the two of you have expressed this to each other, but this is kind of what Trev is picking up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think also there is a, if this is what Trev's picking up, some tangible excitement to get that slime home. Really <laughs> stick, get, let's learn about this slime. At home to web. Oh yeah, no the the flowers are for kindred. The slime is for web. Uh, and Walt, I think, is is feeling pretty good about uh, 
about having everyone back together at this point after being separated. Um, he's, he's quite happy that, uh, he and Carcinican have, have bonded well and are, were able to pull off a move. Uh, but he's also just very anxious to get back home. <laughs> he doesn't want to overstay their welcome here in Vestige. Mm-hmm. Part of the aftermath of Wolf's peelback was that he took the slam shaken. Uh, and I think that comes through for you, Trev, for his, his normally, uh, very chill, uh, uh, happy facade it is a facade right now. It is good to hear that we are all fine. I am glad for the success of surviving such an encounter. Uh, I should point out, it seems that the last encounter uh, that I applied medical aid was not welcome. So that's why I am changing my parameters to apply medical aid only in the explicit request by the victim for me to apply such aid. And as well, I've also changed my parameters to not charge anything more to your account unless it's explicitly said so. Uh, If you're still running your intuition, Maeve's uh, uh, switches from like feeling very justified in her anger to feeling like like when you're holding a grudge intentionally because you're like, well, that's... You you made a lot of good and fair points just then, but I still want to be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think Helix points out that's like uh, sort of says it more to Walt uh, as like an indictment of Kindred because he is pretty suspicious of Kindred. Be like, oh, you think that'd be the sort of best practices and user considerations that would be updated regularly? Uh, surprised we have to tell him that. I thought you guys were the cutting-edge technology tower. Oh, it, it does seem that there is a misunderstanding about my medical aid protocols. After all, if somebody is in vital need of care, uh, euphorophil is the typical response so that we can retrieve them back to a medical facility. Yeah, Trev, the, the thing about slug blasting is sometimes we're places we're not supposed to be both, you know... Because we're not allowed and because physics doesn't want us to be there. It's just, it, you know, sometimes there's more going on. But I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you get it. Listen, Helix, what, what do you make of all the plants and, and whatnot down there? Like, how is that even possible? There's no, there's no light or water or I, I can't imagine there's a lot of nutrients in this, this desert pink sand. Like, what's. What's going on there? He pauses for a second and he like looks over your shoulder and he goes, well, sometimes life will find a way. <laughs> he thinks it's a Coley original thought. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, well put. I've never heard anyone yeah. say that before. Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with any cultural artifact that, <laughs> that references that. The, the folks at Kindred didn't necessarily equi- – or I guess did they equip us with like – science tools to to get these this exploration they wanted us to explore like the the thing that they gave you was sort of a, a remote device that takes readings sort of in lieu of of collecting physical samples uh themselves all i can tell you using the uh diagnostic device provided by kindred multiversal these are definitely unique and new specimens um, perhaps the fact that they are growing in spite of everything you just described is what makes them remarkable. Uh, but, uh, until we can get these back to Kindred or another lab, uh, to, to be, uh, 
reviewed more thoroughly, uh, I, I don't think I can tell you much, but we've got samples, and I, that's, I suppose, what we're here for. Is there any possibility that this increased fauna growth may be the result of the kindred rehabil- <laughs> I, like, I like the way that crab was talking. Yes, this very well could be a result of, of kindred's revitalization. Whether it's deliberate or not, uh, it remains to be seen. Oh, I wanted to give the crab a fist bump. <laughs> and Scampy comes up and he rubs his face on your hand. Aww. <laughs> oh, hey, little dude. Uh, of course, Trev4, you know that what uh, Waltz and Helix are saying uh, is not in fact the case. Kindred has had nothing to do with the rehabilitation of this particular area. Uh, they seem more interested in learning more about various pockets within Vestige to potentially establish a settlement. But at this moment, I do want to direct everyone's attention to where you are. Because now the dust, or maybe sand in this case, has settled... And you have a moment to breathe, and now you have a moment to look around. Uh, as I mentioned, you are in a giant quarry, and it is a mining quarry. Uh, you, you notice some signs of it. Uh, the dunes have been physically carved uh, to make sort of shelves, as is what happens with open pit mining. You see various tunnels marked all around, Though, interestingly, all of them are either collapsed or blocked by wreckage. And there is absolutely no shortage of wreckage in this place. You see overturned mining carts, uh, demolished half-cylinder huts, big vehicles, tractors, and the like that have been quite forcefully dismantled. And Interestingly enough, those uh, empty lots that you found in the mining town that had the buildings that looked like they were torn off of the lots, those buildings are actually here in the quarry, haphazardly scattered about and completely out of place with their surroundings. Uh, you notice piles of rubble in which you see suits of humanoid-shaped mechanical armor. And the two things I think I want to point out about this are it looks less like this place was ravaged by time, like the, the town was, mm. and more like a battle happened here. Um, and I am happy to give more information, perhaps with a roll. But the other thing that you determine is there's a ton of wreckage here. And the gearhead part of your slug blaster brains lights up. You could score a ton of components here. It's me, Lena, your Slugmaster Game Blaster, wanting to thank you so much for listening to this run of Vestiche. How you doing? It's getting a little bit wild out there. You drinking enough water? Take care of yourselves. Okay, champs? 
We are at Quantum Kickflip on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow us for new episode updates, audiograms, and more. You can also subscribe to us on Patreon, where for just five bucks a month, you can get early access to every new episode of Quantum Kickflip, as well as bi-weekly bonus content like outtakes and interviews. That's patreon.com slash quantum kickflip. I'd like to thank our sponsors at the Alberta Media Arts Alliance Society, whose goal is to advocate, educate, and celebrate the media arts in Alberta. You can check them out at amaas.ca. And finally, we are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, who have a ton of amazing, locally-made shows over at albertapodcastnetwork.com. We release Quantum Kickflip bi-weekly, so you can catch the conclusion of Vestige on Wednesday, April 5th. We're going to get you folks right back to the action, but first, here's the mysterious man from the elevator with a word from our sponsors. All right, listen. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. We're going to keep it that way. I'm just here to read you some ads, and you're going to trust me on this, because I'm just a guy representing very reputable and above-ground organizations. All right? And we don't need to look into it any further than that. All right, I'm an enigma. I want to keep it that way. This episode of Quantum Kickflip is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. In Alberta, you get to choose who to buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. Park Power has low overhead, which in turn allows them to offer low, competitive rates. Reach out for a no-obligations comparison by emailing estimates at parkpower.ca. If you decide to switch, it's easy. It's really just a change to your billing, and you can feel good knowing you are helping to give back to our communities with your utilities bills. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Dang, that sounds pretty good, actually. Low overhead, competitive rates. Maybe I should look into switching over. Not that I have a residence in a place called Alberta where I would have utilities that I would need to switch it over. Don't read into it. Don't read into it. This episode of Quantum Kickflip is also brought to you by Taproot Spotlight, a service that helps businesses and organizations pay attention to the people they serve. Taproot tells you the news about the people and companies that are important to you. Use that information internally to keep everyone on the same page, or share it with the world in your newsletter, on your website, and on your social media channels. Paying attention pays dividends. Find out more at taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. That's taprootpublishing.ca slash spotlight. Sounds like a pretty good information network. I should tell the boss about it. Not that I have a boss or a network or information or that I pay attention. Stop paying attention to me. Get back to the episode. Look at all this stuff. There's, there's gotta be, like coils and discs. Maybe, maybe even a gem. If, I, if I'm lucky, I, I, I think we ought to. I mean, I know we're here for kindred, but nothing saying we can't scavenge a little, right? Heck, you could almost get a whole signature device out of this. It looks like there's some some powered armor over there. Although, can you imagine wearing some some old secondhand powered armor? Some some rust bucket you picked up in Vestige as your as your signature. Oh boy. <laughs> 
<laughs> what what slug blaster glue would crew would take you seriously? <laughs> it is quite comical. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's all been here quite a while. I don't think anyone will miss it. <laughs> it's never stopped me. <laughs> Maeve, just, uh, like, reflexively gives you a fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to set up a track here, I think. This track is going to be a big old progress track of components. Whoa. And this track is a little bit different in that you do not need to mark every mark on the track to complete it, right? Because this is a track for gathering components. It's not a track to leave. You can leave at any time. But the more spots you mark on the track, the more components I will reward you at the end of this run. Sick. I will also give this little detail to Trev 4. Pretty much directly in the middle of the pit, you detect something. Uh, maybe with your omniscience aperture. Uh, it's not visible. It seems to be buried under some wreckage, but you detect a strong power signature. Uh, do I get a sense of like what it might be? Is it just like, oh, there's a lot of stored energy or is it like uh, generating energy? Is it like a... Ooh, yeah. Um, it's stationary. You're not getting any sort of like life signature from it or anything like that. Not sure if it's a robot. Uh, if it was, that would be really strange because this signature is far, far stronger than any one robot could need. It's it's like you've detected a battery, but like a really, really powerful battery. I should warn you that there seems to be a very powerful energy signature coming from just this way. So although we can collect components, we may need to be a little careful. But fear not, I will go check out the power signature. Sorry, what was that, Trev? As uh, Helix goes to plunge his board into a pile of sand to begin looking for uh, treasure. <laughs> <laughs> like, he does he does hear you, and I have heard you, but I'm also gonna get he, Helix is eager to get started uh, digging for treasure. Yeah, so it sounds like Trev is making his way towards this power source. Uh, Helix is very eager to get started, and because you didn't uh, get a chance to wail on a, a giant cerulean worm, Helix, I'll let you go first in this treasure hunt. Sure, uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll heed Trev's warning on the next uh, turn, because I, I really get the feeling that a couple failures and this might literally blow up in our face. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I'm going to use my energy lattice to transform my board into custom shapes, including tools and such. Um, activate x-axis scoop configuration. Um, and he says scoop, but uh, as I've established, all the hard light that comes out of his board comes two-dimensional. Yeah, uh, like a two-dimensional Green Lantern thing. Uh, and so what he's trying to do is turn his board into a shovel with a graded bottom, kind of like a cat litter scooper. Okay. Uh, but it kind of kind of comes out more like a, a spatula, like a pancake flipper with ridges. <laughs> um, but either way, it's going to get the job done. Uh, and he's going to sort of dig into some sand and junk, 
pull up and then shift shift like sip 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 like a like a cat little litter scooper uh and hopefully there's treasure remaining as all the dust and smaller debris falls away he likes is panning for gold yeah <laughs> basically yeah <laughs> and i'm gonna add a kick to that he's he's excited yeah i'm gonna roll 2d6 uh and there's one kick on this thing Ooh, we got a six all right Amazing. Uh, yeah, you you sift through. You're able to find some like really uh, juicy things that you can potentially use to soup up your signature device. In fact, pick a component, Liam. Uh, really? Any component? Any component. Uh, hit me with a coil. All right. One of those is a coil. Sweet. Uh, yeah, you see he goes, shh, bunch of debris falls away and uh, uh, sort of a spring uh, looking thing. Um, the size of like a loaf of bread, but there's sort of twisty ends on either either end of it. Uh, he knows with the with a little uh, tap 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 and some tinkering, uh, going the opposite direction of the spring, uh, like a lightning bolt kind of curls, almost like a he- the way a helix revolves around itself. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is a great great idea, everyone. Uh, d- dig in. There's plenty to go around. All right, let's check in with Trev Four on this power source. Okay, well then, I guess I'm going to just use my hyperoptic visor. I, I'm realizing I'm getting like low on power, maybe. So I'm going to take a D6 and a kick from my heart because uh, I want to make sure that you know this is fully safe for my friends. So um, can can Maeve help? I, I can throw you either a D6 or a kick from my grit, um, but I think my justification here is like. In spite of of their sort of interpersonal conflicts and and Maeve's grudge, like I think initially you go, you go off to investigate this thing, and Maeve's like, "Good, he is the one that should go check that out. Maybe maybe he'll you know something blows up, it'll be." And then she realizes how mean that is, and is like, "No, I should go help. He's he's got the he's looking out for the crew, and uh, it's just kind of maybe like staying nearby and keeping an eye on Trev so that if anything happens, she's ready to spring into action." Uh, and, and yeah, D6 or a kick, whichever one you want. Uh, I'll, I'll take a D6. Done. All right. So I believe that is three D6 and one kick. That's correct. Uh, I roll a five. A five. Mixed success. Uh, so, so to be clear, it's like buried under like what? Like sand, or is it buried under like rubble? Like uh, under rubble, it's like kind of or, or almost a mix of both. Honestly, like a little bit in the sand, but mostly covered by scraps of metal, a loader from an old tractor, uh, things like that. So I think uh, what it might be, Trevor may not really necessarily clock that Mave is there, uh, but is rather just like you know, moving things appropriately so to make his way down. And uh, Trev Ford has a little bit of strength. Like, he's no, like, uh, loading robot, but at least he's got, like, oh, he can hold a lot of weight relative to his size. And uh, the thing is there, but he's holding up uh, the weight of some things and uh, with both arms, and now he, he's just kind of, like, stuck He's a little bit of like, how do I, I don't, I am lacking. And as you, as you look up to assess the situation, you see a pair of bronze colored hands reach in and kind of take the weight of the thing you're holding. And then a second pair of bronze colored hands comes in and, and he further reinforces it uh, to free your hands up to, to reach down. Ah, uh, yes. It seems as though as I need to have a third arm upgrade. 
However, <laughs> that will cost several credits. In the meantime, uh, thank you for your help. And I re uh, and I go to like once again, my left thumb goes up and it's going to <laughs> release a sticker, and it, it like burnt gives like a little like uh, an error sound like burnt. And I just like wipe, put my thumb on him. No sticker comes out because uh, there's now a block uh, on this thing. And <laughs> oh, because the stickers cost money. Yes, that's right. As we have established. Oh no! Oh god! <laughs> and he goes and uh, tries to dig in or pull out uh, the power signature. <laughs> there is a block on your sticker dispenser. Because, you know, you don't want to charge them, so the natural conclusion to that is, oh, you don't give them a gold star, right? Right. But then something, and you can't really figure out what it is, because it doesn't seem to align with any of your programming, but you almost feel this impulse to change it the other way around. Dispensing the sticker costs money... Solution one, which aligns with your programming, is, oh, don't dispense the sticker. But you start to feel a gravitation towards solution two, which you didn't think you would have had before, which is dispense the sticker, but don't charge for it. Oh. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it might be like one of those things where the program is there and like there, it has like, prank, prank, and then he tries like a third time. And, uh, you know, to Maeve, there's, like, no perception of, like, what's happening aside, like, oh, maybe there's a feeder uh, jam in his sticker uh, release. But... Um, classic sticker jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic sticker jam. And, and it's probably Trev having this moment of, like, doing some weird thing that justifies it in the algorithm or in the code or whatever. So, like, technically it's an error on the other side... And it will be easily picked up, especially if he ever goes through some sort of uh, update or, like, if they track <laughs> over. It's, a, it's going to be the easiest error to pick up on any kind of uh, update. But to Trev, he's justifying in his head. It's like, oh, this is important to give, uh, uh, you know, a reward. So, And there's something about it, Trev, that... It's tough because as a robot, maybe you don't necessarily feel uh, emotions, but something about this feels weirdly emotionally charged mm. and and you can't figure out why. So that distracted slam that you had earlier when you were uh, trying to distract the worm and you yourself got distracted by a phone call, that was a temporary slam. I would like to bring it back and make it permanent until downtime. Oh. Yikes. Um, because, yeah, it, it goes against what you think your programming should be. Yeah, there's a conflict in his programming that's going back and forth. But, yeah. But the two of you manage to fish out this power source. And what you are holding are six kind of battered but not broken sort of power cell looking things and Trev the really interesting thing about the signature of this is the way that energy generates is almost self-perpetuating like the more energy it generates the more it can 
generate. Almost like there was a force being applied to it that instead of uh, slowing down and heating up, uh, is speeding up and cooling down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because what you have, what you and Maybelline have discovered, are six nega-friction coils. Ooh. Are we familiar with these? Like, is this... I know this was the way that... Um, not to get all season one on everybody, but I know back in Null, this was the way that they sort of cracked interdimensional travel and were able to do all of the fantastical things they could do in that timeline. Um, but in, in Operablum, are these commonplace or is this something we've never seen before? Um, I don't think it's something that you would have seen before. I think Operablum, to a degree, has their own way of, of coming across power sources. But Maeve, I think you would be familiar sort of with the history of Ezria, uh, which is how the Arborists <clears throat> know Vestige. And so you know that Ezria was destroyed because of the overmining of Ezrium, which is the raw material that was used to synthesize negafriction. So I think you are aware of its capabilities as a power source, how one coil alone can power a device or a vehicle maybe, and this power only compounds exponentially upon itself. So six is quite substantial. Uh, gang, I don't want to stop y'all from uh, gathering up components, but uh, when, when you're done, you may want to come have a look at this. The others who are not uh, Trev and Maeve, so I suppose Walt, Bryn, and uh, Helix. Uh, perhaps, Helix, you're sifting through and, and fishing up your components in this moment. Walt and Bryn, I'm going to draw your attention to something. It is the classic Lena GM convention. Uh, those overturned mining carts and torn up half-cylinder huts and those buildings from the mining town start moving. And Walt... You see it first because you recognize it the most easily as these sort of crab-like legs dart out from underneath these structures and push upwards, raising these up in the air, revealing this giant hard-shelled creature that has made this a grotesque shell of sorts. I am spending one bite to introduce the obstacle of salvage crabs. <laughs> hey, Bryn, you want to help Scampy and I dig up some of the... Wait, is that a crab? <laughs> Looks like it. Maeve can't see this and is like, nah, I think you went back to being a shrimp, and then keeps pulling on the power source. <laughs> Wait, you think if we can get its shell off of it, there will be more components inside the shell? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I guess there would be components in their shells in that their shells are machines, and thus machines contain components. Radical. <laughs> I'm going to roll to coarsely lift one of these crabs uh, up. Okay. And like by the shell, trying to like, whoop, just like. Like you're trying to shake it out of the shell? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll add a d6 from my gauntlet. I can't justify doing a trick. Like, I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can justify advancing the track if, you, if you're if you successful. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you are looking for components. Cool. <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll also add a kick from my... Why not? Uh, and add a kick from my gauntlet, so it's 2d6 and a kick. That's a six. Oh my god. 
Oh, the sixes. Describe this silliness. <laughs> Brinley, because uh, they're, they're big, you said, right? Yeah. Like, ranging in size from a big dog to a very small house. Okay. <laughs> That's a big range. Or maybe, like, size of, like, a horse to... A, a horse to a shed. Let's let's say that. Okay. Uh, Brenly is aiming for a shed-sized one. A big boy. Okay. And just like an invisible force, she holds out her her hand, uh, her gauntleted hand, and an invisible force picks up the shell of mm-hmm. the, this this shed-sized one, picks it up, looks at his little legs in the air, and then uh, gently goes. As gently as possible with the accuracy and power of a tractor. Okay. Uh, I think what I'll say is because you selected a big boy, you're not going to like shake the shell off of this thing, but I think you kind of shake a few components out of it. Like you dislodge some like, I don't know if it's the front end loader of a tractor, maybe it still has some of the console attached to it. Some of that shakes loose kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe you also manage to like, point it in a direction that when you set it down, it's going to scuttle away from you and not directly towards you, giving you access to the components uh, that you have successfully shaken from this thing. Sounds good. Friendly flip this crab like a a nerd that she's trying to get lunch money from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Waltz, do you have a play? Uh... I'll say there's like, there's maybe six to ten of these crabs kind of scattered around the quarry. None of them appear to be particularly aggressive to you yet, but they do seem to be stirring and moving around. Uh, And I mean, maybe you want to test them. Brinley just shook one and it turned out fine. So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I had said before, I think Walt is kind of anxious to leave. Uh, He's in a state where I think components are, are... Quite tempting, though. So I think, yeah, just sort of like doing a quick search and then I might tag a kick on that and that he's like trying to do like grab and go, just get something and start moving. Sure. So do we want to say that the the role is maybe you're sort of rounding up everyone so that you're more or less together? Because I think Helix is kind of off on his own. Trev and Maeve are directly in the center of the pit. You and Bryn are like close. So maybe with your role, you can maneuver it in a way that all five of you are together. Yeah, sort of trying to draw people in that way. Yeah, I like that. If I add a kick to this, can I make, make can I make one mark on the progress track? Sure. Okay, okay. I'm gonna take a dare, uh, mark a trouble to add to get that kick. So I'm rolling two d six with a kick. Okay, sounds good. It's a four. Make success. Will turns to Scampy and goes, "Hey, Scamp, do you, do you speak crab? Can can you talk to crabs?" <laughs> okay, I, I wasn't sure that would have any sort of results anyway. Uh, you go grab Trev and Maeve. I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, see if I can round up Helix. Uh, Bryn, we'll come right on back to you. Okay. All right. With that, Walt and Scampy sort of shoot off in both directions, trying to head and gather the teammates. Uh, yeah, Scampy can uh, goes and uh, is is sort of collecting uh, 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 Maeve and Trev. Uh, what does, what does Scampykin say? <laughs> it seems as though we are being requested to join the others and leave. <laughs> you speak Scampykin? <laughs> well, it's a variation on a basic binary. 
That weirdly makes sense. Yeah, all right, let's get out of here. Uh, Walt, as you approach Helix, uh, and and uh, what what do you say to Helix as you approach him? Shift, 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 shift. Hey, Helix, uh, we're getting some more uh, crab activity. I, I think we should try and gather up and m- maybe even find a thin zone. Uh, yeah, he goes to look up. He's like, what do you mean crab activity? He's going to say some snide comment about your critter. And then, like, behind you, there's one moving. <laughs> uh, he goes, oh, uh, damn. Okay, yes, let's uh, let's mobilize. Yes, yeah, significantly active crabs. No, that, that's a, that, thank you for the heads up. Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident about this. Look, I found a coil. One of these big coils, man, I'm really, I, I really think I got the haul of this this run i don't want to speak too soon but uh and then you know he's very proud of his one coil as he makes his way back to as you're bragging about your excellent coil that you found uh your your thought process is distracted by the sound of like a vibrating sound with like a bit of a buzzing undertone and something catches the corner of, of your eye, uh, Helix, and, and yours as well, Walt. And you turn to look in the direction of the mining town, and you see this, like, dark red, almost black cloud rising up and getting closer. And you both realize at the same time the source of that vibrating, buzzing sound. It is hundreds of insect wings as the camouflage in the town prior uh, have heard you shifting through this wreckage and upending metal and shaking giant crabs. And they're coming to see what's going on. So this cloud of camouflage is closing in as all around you salvage crabs are scuttling in amongst the debris. Things are looking worse by the moment, but the five of you are able to reconvene with Brinley. What do you do next? The folks at Kindred may want us here, but the plane of Vestige itself is sending us a pretty clear signal it's time to beat feet. Yeah, for an arid wasteland, this place is busy. Yeah, teeming with way more life than than I would have expected. The cerulean worm, these camouflage things, uh, the crabs, uh, both Daibokin and not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we we best uh, mobilize. All right, but can we look for a way out that doesn't send us directly back into Kindred Tower? I, Trev and I found something here, and I'm not sure this is something we want getting into Kindred's hands necessarily. May I see? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to employ a think fast policy. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. That's why I was like, maybe we need to move, but not, not uh, emerge directly into Kindred's clutches. Sure. I think that's a, that's a canny suggestion. Lena, would I be able to use my realmware lens to, uh, you know, use its space time ampimeter to, you know, f- see if there's a way out from where we are right now. Absolutely. And here's what I will give you, Trev. I think that Gigi maybe gave you some coordinates for the thin zone that would take you back to Operablem and presumably back to Kindred Tower where they would meet up with you. But you do detect a thin zone that is closer to where you are that will take you back 
to operate them. You basically need to get out of this pit. And then it seems like similar to when you were tracking Walton Maeve and, you know, you could get a straight line to them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Your line is down. It's like forward out of the pit and then down. But it is it, there. It is closer than the one that has been uh, assigned to you from Kindred. Which will you tell us about, though? It's all in Trev's hands. <gasps> <laughs> Where does your loyalty lie? <laughs> <laughs> I, as I'm scanning, like you know, these uh, these flies are coming towards us and and everything. And if I detect this way out, I think it's very natural for Trev to go like. I have found a close exit just up and over. Follow me. And I start heading towards that one that that is closer nearby. All right. Sounds like we have the prime directive of get the heck out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cheese it. (laughs) Cheese it. Uh, Let's get a cheese it roll. Possibly a team roll. (laughs) Yeah. Does it make sense for Trev to lead it? Because it's his powers that we're using here uh sure yeah i could i can uh do that I'll, i can use another die from my heart and uh there's also two crew resources as a d6 and a kick that we haven't used if we think this is our like yeah one of our last rolls last if, leg if we throw a kick on it can we all do a cool trick as we as we exit and and get some style yes you may all do a trick yeah <laughs> i'm saying it's not adding kick though it is it is doing a trick. If it the roll succeeds, you all mark style. If there's a problem, it will be worse. Fair. Then definitely take that d6 from the crew page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the, I'm rolling three d6, one from my heart, one from the, the base, and then one from the crew. Uh, are there any other resources that anyone else would like to lend to this roll? Um, I could lend a d6 from my gauntlet. The justification being that Brinley is using the endurance engine on her gauntlet to move machinery out of the way. Ooh, I like that. And or stack it in a climbable fashion. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I'd, I'd love to add a, a D6 from my attitude, my, my smarts playbook. We are presented with the two options of the cl- a closer one or a farther away one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trev was uh, offered that. I mean, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Is it safe to say that maybe uh, Helix points out a collapsed big piece of sheet metal that would make a sick ramp that would get us there more directly by going off this ramp. And that's my smarts. Ooh, I love that. And maybe Brinley's like endurance engine is building towards the ramp. If you point it out to like make it even bigger. Yeah, sure. Yes. So take another D six. So I should be up to five now, right? If I throw a kick on, can I scoop some components and mark the track on our way out? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yay. Can can I give you a kick to also do that? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Scampy's going to help. He's going to be zooping around as we're running toward this thing. So I guess uh, Trev 4, I guess, is somewhat leading... Uh, the charge on this, you know, his rocket knees are going, he's floating on his stomach, you know, the, the classic thing. The others are following behind him. Uh, he cranes his neck back uh, more than what a human would, but that's, <laughs> he's not a human, so it's fine. Uh, so that way his, uh, you know, 360 degree uh, lens can uh, try to grab all these things. And, uh, you know, uh, he's attempting to grab all of these different uh, folks behind him as they like, you know, do their various jumps or 
tricks or whatever and tries to track all four of them as uh, as he's going and uh, try to like combine it into like a multi-angle kind of a thing so it's it's still got to be live right like if we were talking before like we can only post live Mm-hmm. What what's happening though is like picture and picture and picture, uh, like all of these things happening simultaneously, grabbing everybody all at once. Uh, and that's incredible these, sizzle reel. Yeah. So here we go. <laughs> well, uh, despite five d six, I got the best I did was a five. A five, a mixed success. <laughs> Ooh, boy. I should point, the, the, the other ones, the highest roll outside of that five was a two. Uh, oh my god! Oh, wild. <laughs> the dice yeah. are so wild. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Good things first. We all mark style, and we mark two more spots on the track. Yes. Uh, Trev, I believe you have a feature of your attitude as well. Uh, anytime yeah. you or a teammate you're helping succeed on an action, refill one attitude, so you can get back one of your d6 or one of your kick. I will mark two spots on the progress track because we did uh, mark two kick, taking you seven tenths of the way through this track. Well done, everybody. All right, let's hear some tricks. Yeah, I think Helix, in seeing Brindley reorganize the rubble to be a a, a nice route for us, including the aforementioned ramp, uh, there is a brief moment where there is a blank spot uh, that that Brindley didn't put anything there. A crab put it there uh, in that it was walking through uh, and Helix is going to grind along the sort of box-shaped home this crab has settled into. So Helix is going to grind a crab uh, and then land on the land on the ramp and go off with everybody else. Uh, all I can think of is for some reason, I don't know why uh, Brinley is going to do the jump and then she's going to try and do Christ air. Yeah. <laughs> Again, almost a similar fashion as Waltz uh, heading toward their sort of target point. Uh, he has to do some sort of jump over a crab and it looks like he's not going to get enough height for it. But then Scampy zooms up underneath his board and gives it a little extra push. So they both go over the top. Oh, very good. <laughs> I think Maeve's trick is all... Uh, Classic Maeve, very utilitarian. It's it's all all practical. It's just dodging these camo flies. I think maybe she's at the back of the pack and these things are, are catching up with her. And so she's just like weaving and ducking and dodging and maybe has to like weave through a crab's legs at, at, uh, at one point as well. I like the idea that maybe in the process of this, at some point she's like dodging and has to throw the uh, Nega Friction coils up in the air and then weave through the legs of a crab to not get stomped on and catch it on the other side. Uh, oh, and that's yes. that's her big trick, is is not uh, exploding us all with the, the <laughs> mega friction bomb she's carrying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if mega friction explodes when you chuck it in the air and let it hit the ground, but I don't want to find out. <laughs> and we rolled a uh, success, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Is it just Trav that needs to do a trick still? I think so. Oh, I, I wasn't imagining that, that I was doing a, a trick necessarily. I was just like, oh, the, the the trick is like capturing this all and trying to post it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Can I may I, can I make an offer? Yeah. Because um, you described your head tilting back, and I love that like the knees tilt back, the head tilts back. And whenever yeah. you go to like transform a transformer, they're always in very 
between vehicle and and robot, they always get into real obscure positions. Yeah. And yeah. so maybe as we're flying through the air trips, trying to do so many things that just all of his parts are moving around him, like someone is adjusting a Rubik's cube. <laughs> <laughs> like just like this ball goes through the air, where like the head's back, the knees are forward, but then it like. Are you doing a flip or are you just shifting all of your parts around while sailing through the air? It's impossible to tell. It gives the impression <laughs> of a flip. Or like you're break dancing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. This is amazing. Uh, Trev, the footage that you capture of this is immaculate. Uh, perhaps the best yet uh, that you have captured of Gold Star Disaster, which is saying something because, you know, you've been in Calorium. You fought a giant snake in Popularia. You've got some cred, uh, and this is only elevating you uh, to new incredible heights. I am going to keep the complication simple. As you come up to this ramp and, and get up out of the quarry, you are well out of the way of the salvage crabs, but I think maybe not all, but a cloud of the camelflies breaks off and surrounds you. Uh, and so I am going to dole out the slam to everybody of Swarmed as you get pelted by shells, uh, bit, uh, and stung. I'm going to take it because I got the ability walk it off where I mark one style every time I take a slam. And I also have an extra slam box, so I'm not full. Uh, I'm going to use the flicker switch once again. I think Helix sees everyone taking these bites uh, and uh, ignites his flicker switch midway through the the time in the air. uh, And I'm going to have to mark a turbo about it, but I get to uh, not mark a physical slam. But I am out of out of turbo. Oh, uh, bites, you say? Maybe. I have the particle bond tights, uh, which can help me avoid scrapes, bites, and other lacerations for only one trouble. There you go. You can nope that for one trouble. Will do. Uh, Trev, did you want to take this slam? Uh, yes, I, I really can't justify a way. Well, th- these are just like little bugs, like they're uh, biological bugs. Yep, biological bugs about the size of softballs. Sure. <laughs> and like a few dozen of them. I I don't know if it's impossible for me to say like, I, I'll, I'll nope it, take the two trouble or whatever. You know, maybe it, it, it uh, scuffs up my armor, but like I am made out of metal. So I feel like I might be able to, uh, just by my nature, just be able to take the it. nope but, is uh, being a robot. Robot, yeah, <laughs> that's right. But I mean, you are getting scuffed up, and that may land you in a bit of trouble with the bot shop. So that's, I could see that, my troubles. Yeah. Now, one of us already has full slam boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'm going to nope because I don't have the resources to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Um, I think I think that kind of manifests in. Uh, like for Walt, as he's seeing this, uh, just this swarm of the camelflies coming closer, uh, almost through panic, he like kicks up faster and he just rushes to be the first one to punch through the thin zone. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, make sure you mark your two trouble and... Actually show some impressive athleticism, but not, not intentionally, just out of fear. <laughs> the five of you race across... Uh, a now clear 
uh, dune of red sand. The sun hangs hazily overhead. You shake off the camel flies and they break away as you move forward. Trev 4, that dot is getting closer and closer and you see just how low it is. And you realize as you approach, you see the trench ahead and it means you're all going to have to jump and drop to punch through the thin zone. See, this would have been a good place for the Chrysler. <laughs> <laughs> Do you all jump? Ye. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah, Helix yeah. wastes no time. Leap of faith. Wolk kind of falls, but yes. As you plummet down, darkness closes up around you as you descend into this trench. You are free falling towards the thin zone. And it is at this moment that I want all of you to roll for disaster. <laughs> <laughs>